Okay, if you have a Bible with you, could you turn to Matthew's Gospel, please? We're going to look at a few verses, just a few verses in Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry, you'll be able to look on the screen behind me, so you can follow there, uh, the different scriptures that we look at. I'm going to read Matthew 6 and verse 16 onwards. I think the blue buckets have done their rounds. Here we go. So Jesus speaking. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men that they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So we're going to spend some time, uh, before worshipping again at the conclusion of our, of our meeting this morning, we're going to spend some time looking at fasting. Uh, you might think, What? How, how come we're here? Fasting sounds really old-fashioned, doesn't it? It sounds like it belongs almost to another Christian era. Um, it might sound strange to us. It may be something that you personally do have experience with. I wanted us to spend some time looking at it this morning. I'll try and explain why, first of all, just why. Because I feel that there's a sense, personally, for us as elders, in the spirit, that we want to make progress in the purposes of God. We want to draw near uh, to him if you've if you picked up the latest magazine you'll 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 already know there's a picture of a well um, in a fairly arid uh, location uh, with the title uh, unblocking wells and you might remember uh, just before our weekend away there's this prophetic theme developing as we were praying as Tim just referenced our prayer meetings when we were praying about wells being unblocked. A well is an absolutely vital source of life, especially if you're living in that kind of arid situation there on that, that, that picture shows. We can't do without water. Um, whatever advances we may have, uh, whatever we might like to do, nothing much is going to happen if we don't have water. Water is absolutely vital. So for a well to be blocked up is fairly bad news. Spiritually speaking, that can happen to us. When we were at the weekend away, we were considering uh, just one spiritual well that may have been blocked, and we, we spent some time looking at giving. And we looked at uh, a discouragement, which might kind of signify the spiritual muck that can go into the well and that blocks up its, its water source. Um, and that's just been coming back to me recently. In recent times, obviously last week we looked at 1 Timothy 4. We looked at training ourselves to be godly. Training ourselves with a, with a good diet. Getting into God's word. Feeding on his word. With discipline. Um, developing a godly habit and routine. Which, which can change. Um, but it's kind of deliberate on our part. We have a deliberate plan uh, of spending time with God with the door closed. And, and that's not kind of a dry, barren duty, but that's a, that's a delight. That's a source of life to us. Um, prior to that, you might remember we were in uh, Matthew elsewhere uh, and, and looking at the disciples being sent by Jesus on the boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And they're rowing into a headwind all night. 
and, uh, and Jesus goes out to them walking on the water in the fourth watch of the night and they're terrified to start with but they realize it's him and, uh, and then Peter says uh, Lord if it's you tell me to get out of the water and, and come to you and so Peter does and he obviously starts to sink but uh, Jesus then brings him back into the boat and we know from John's gospel that as soon as they get back into the boat not only do they worship Jesus but suddenly they arrive at their destination and we, we look there at making progress in the purposes of God and my prayer, my desire is there'll be moments of making progress as a community, as a church, that resemble Peter walking on water. We are doing what we have never done before. We are doing the impossible. It's not just kind of a, uh, getting out of a comfort zone. It's the supernatural work of God amongst us that we're taking steps into. That's my prayer. That's my desire. That's what I want us to take, make progress in. But it goes hand in hand with the fact they were in the boat and they were rowing. They were doing the same thing over and over again. And to be a people making progress in the purposes of God is, I am committed, Lord, to your word and to following. I'm going to trust that your word is always good. And therefore, I'm going to make it my life's aim to be obedient to your word. There will be miracles. There will be suddenly breakthroughs. Um, but every day, every day might not involve a miracle. Every day. I'm devoted to you, Lord. I want to make progress in the things of God. You might remember another time we're looking at Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, where it says there, it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on you. It speaks of an urgency. It speaks of uh, a sense of expectation. And I think for us, it's time to seek the Lord. So then arriving at fasting, when you fast... It's part of a larger body of teaching that Jesus was giving. And just beginning at chapter 6, he says there, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. It starts a section where he's saying, Practice your acts of righteousness, but not in such a way as to draw attention to yourself. And then he mentions a number of things. He says, when you give, and he talks about giving. And that's something that we've covered this year, like I just said, at the weekend away, when we give. Later on, a few verses, he'll say, and when you pray, and then there's another body of teaching, including the Lord's Prayer. We looked at Luke chapter 11, kind of an equivalent passage where Jesus teaches on prayer earlier this year. And then he says in verse 16, when you fast. So Jesus just puts these things together. Giving praying and fasting. They're all part and parcel of practicing our righteousness, being devoted uh, to him. John Wesley is quoted to have said, some have exalted religious fasting beyond all scripture and reason, and others have utterly disregarded it. And I wonder if this can sometimes happen in, in Christian culture, something can either be so elevated that lots of other things are unhelpfully missed out. It almost becomes a fanatical thing. It's all about this one aspect of the Christian life. That's all that's focused on. Or, as Christians, we can sometimes just abandon it altogether. Which way are we leaning on fasting in this day and age? It's possibly more towards just disregarded, really. There were probably previous ages, there were other eras 
in the Christian faith, in Christian history, when it's been exalted perhaps too much and, and not un- understood or applied very well. So we're going to look at this whole matter of fasting, a well to be unblocked. I'm, what I'm saying is it's, it is a special God-given means of drawing close to him, seeking answers and seeking uh, answers to prayer. So that, that's what fasting is. Typically, it's about going without food for a time while we seek God. That's what Jesus was doing um, when he was led by the Holy Spirit into the, into the desert, into the wilderness, where he uh, fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He ate nothing during those, those days, we're told, uh, in, uh, in Luke chapter 4. But it's important just to be clear, what, what isn't fasting? Or what is fasting not focused on? Fasting is not a diet. Uh, so it's not focused on our physical health. It's not about having a detox when we know perhaps at a certain season of the year we've overindulged. Uh, so the new year comes after Christmas and that's the point we think, okay, well, because of all that I have consumed, I'm now going to go without something for a while. I'm going to go without chocolate. I'm going to go without alcohol. I'm going to go without something, something else because in, in recognition that perhaps my, my diet hasn't been tremendously healthy recently, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Well, that's no bad thing, but that's not biblical fasting. That's a diet, or that's just adjusting our behavior. Uh, Fasting is not about promoting a good cause. That's about raising awareness on a social issue. I can remember as a young person in the church that I grew up in, um, now and again, there was some uh, scheme or campaign called the 24-hour famine. It was a sponsored fast. You would go without food, for 24 hours for a day, I'm getting some warm noddies from other people in their 30s, um, and, and, and it would be as a means of raising money for, for people who are experiencing famine elsewhere in the world. So it's raising awareness. Actually, it's, it would help me or, or other young, it would help us as young people to be able to identify in a small way, to be able to identify with people who are genuinely or have genuinely experienced uh, famine. That's no bad thing. But that's not biblical fasting either. Um, And biblically, fasting is not about uh, achieving righteousness for ourselves. It's not about becoming uh, better than other people. Uh, Jesus tells a story, a parable in uh, in Luke's gospel in chapter 18. It's the parable um, of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And he he describes these two men who've gone uh, to the temple to pray. In, uh, in Luke 18, uh, verse 11, he says, The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. goes on to say, But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says at the end there, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Fasting is not about exalting ourselves. It's not about 
being able to justify ourselves. It's not about then being able to say, justifiably, I am holier than thou. Um, that's what the Pharisee was doing in, Je- or in Jesus' parable. Uh, Jesus is saying, well, that's, that's not the way to draw near to God. Um, so uh, worth us uh, bearing in mind as we, as we go on. So yeah, typically with fasting, we're looking at going without food for a period of time while we seek God. So that's what fasting is. Another question, when do we fast? Which is intriguing. Jesus says, when you fast. Notice that it's not a command or a rule. Maybe there was a rule probably for the Pharisees that developed. It wasn't God-given, but they decided amongst themselves. It was a pattern. We, we should fast two days a week. Apparently it was Wednesday and Friday. Um, that was the regular expectation. That's what you did if you were a Pharisee. Jesus says, when you fast, it's, it's not a command, but it's an expectation, it's an, it's an assumption that disciples of Jesus will fast from time to time, but without it being set by a spiritual calendar from on high for all of us at the same time. It's also interesting that it would appear that Jesus' disciples did not fast while they were with him. So that we see this in, uh, in Mark chapter 2, verse 18. Mark chapter 2, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. There's an acknowledgement. Yes, it will become appropriate for my followers to fast. Right now, I'm here. You don't fast on a wedding day. That's a time for celebration. And they've they've got Jesus with them. They have the bridegroom. They They have God's Son right there with them every day in the flesh, speaking, ministering. This is not the time for fasting, but Jesus is acknowledging that time will will come. So when teaching on fasting, he says, when you fast. So when might we fast? When do God's people fast in the Bible? And as we look at when they fasted, we can also see why they fasted, which we'll get onto in a minute. But, but when? When do God's people fast? I'll give you a few pointers and a few examples from the Scripture. God's people fast when things are not okay. Let me give you one example. God's people fast when things are not okay. You could turn, if you can find it, uh, to the book of Esther because Esther and many of the Jews with her fasted at a crucial time in Israel's history the Israelites are in exile so Esther and Mordecai and others find themselves in Susa the the capital of the the Persian Empire And, and by this time Esther has become queen Um, which is in itself is a remarkable story. But then an edict is passed 
that all Jews are to be annihilated on a particular day. And uh, that's published, so it's widely known. And Mordecai comes to Esther and says, look, go to the king. Go and, go and plead with the king that this be changed. Maybe if it's for such a moment as this that God has brought you into this position. Um, she knows that to do that w- would mean risking her own life. And he said, well, deliverance will come for God's people one way, but it, it, he's challenging her that she identify with the Jews rather than stand distant from them. And what does she, what does she say in Esther uh, chapter 4, verse 16? She says that, well, then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So all Jews are destined to perish. And Esther realizes that she has this opportunity fraught with risk and danger to go into the presence of the king to, uh, to intervene on behalf of the Jews. She is risking her life, so she says, fast for me. Things are not okay. What can we do? We can't. This is in God's hands. This is desperate, but we believe God. Let's fast. You notice it's even an absolute fast. They're fasting from food and water for three days. That, they are cast on God. So God's people fast when things are not okay. God's people fast when an urgent breakthrough is, is needed. Uh, also, during a time of exile, uh, Daniel is in Babylon. And we're given uh, the situation in which he fasts, the whole of chapter 9 really, um, at the beginning of chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, it says there in verse 2, in the, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. The rest of the chapter is his prayer before God. What's he saying? I've read from Jeremiah, God, that you said that exile would last for 70 years before we were able to go back to Jerusalem. That 70 years is almost up. Therefore, he's fasting. He's pleading with the Lord, take us back. Restore Jerusalem. Restore God's people. We're not destined to be in exile forever and a day. We're supposed to go back. Your word promises it. And even though it's a promise, notice that he takes action. He's not just saying, ah, oh, it's a promise. God's going to do it. Isn't that wonderful? Don't have to do anything at all. Just sit back and relax for the 70 years to be up. No, he said, no, because there's a promise, I'm going to press on. I'm going to press through. I'm going to plead this before God. You promised it, Lord. Now, deliver. And you see the end of his prayer is, is that impassioned? Um, I'm not going to go through the whole prayer. But he's, he says in verse 17, as he's kind of coming to the, the climax, Now, our God, 
Hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Do you see his, his urgency? It's now, Lord. Don't delay. Your word promises it. It has to come now. Will you do it, God? So God's people fast when things are not okay, when, when an urgent breakthrough is needed. Also, when on the brink of something new. On right at the beginning of a new work of God, of a new era in his purposes. And what's, what's Jesus doing right at the beginning of his ministry? Having been baptized in water, when the Holy Spirit came upon him, what's the, what's the very next thing that happens in Matthew chapter 4? Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Right at the beginning of three-year ministry, that would result or conclude with his death and resurrection what does Jesus do? He fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And the way that I've understood that before, but well, Jesus was tempted. Why was, this is, this is my thought process. Jesus was tempted. Why was he tempted? Because he was hungry. It's obvious. Why, why was he hungry? Well, because he was fasting. Why was he fasting? Because the Holy Spirit led him to fast. Why did the Holy Spirit lead him to fast? And it just sounds like a kind of necessary, but really, really, really tough assignment. It was really, really tough. But we can just see then fasting in the negative. It, because he was fasting, he was hungry and therefore he was tempted. Rather than seeing, hang on a minute, Jesus left the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus left the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit because he had resisted temptation. Jesus resisted temptation because he'd been spending time fasting and in the Word of God. And it was a time of fasting with the Word of God that equipped him and strengthened him to resist temptation and minister in God's purposes for three years. That's why the Holy Spirit led him there. Yes, it was a test. Spiritually, his body was weakening. Uh, sorry, physically, his body was weakening. Spiritually, he's receiving strength from God's word as he fasted. When do God's people fast? Also, when seeking direction from God. I'll give you an example from the book of Acts. 
in chapter 13. Uh, we, having already heard a little bit about the church in Antioch, we're, we're told in Acts chapter 13, right at the beginning, verses 1 onwards, that in the church in Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now some exciting things have happened in that church in Antioch. They've been through a whole number of different phases where almost God's been doing something new. Persecution caused a scattering and people start sharing the gospel in Antioch. Jews and Gentiles are coming to faith. Barnabas goes. He encourages them. There's another wave of of growth as more people come to Jesus. Barnabas goes and gets Saul. Right, Saul comes. He teaches them. They start being known as Christians. Little Jesus. They're given that nickname. They're growing in their maturity and their discipleship. Uh, some, apostle, uh, some prophets come. They predict a famine. And, and then they're starting to set money aside so that it can be taken and given to believers in, in Jerusalem and Judea. All these different phases. Then you can imagine these five leaders, prophets and teachers, get together. We could imagine that their prayers are along the lines of, okay, God, it's been... Thank you for all that's happened so far, but what next? What now? Where do you want to lead us? What's your direction for us as a people and as a church? What do you want us to do with the gospel? What are our next steps? And it's whilst they're fasting and praying that the Holy Spirit comes on them. Just consider for a moment. This is just five people. What are they doing? Just going out without food. And they're praying. Consider what happens as a result. Well, we know Saul and Barnabas are sent. That in itself could have felt quite costly. They're kind of like giving their best. They've been generous with money. Now they're being generous with people. You go. We'd love you to be here, but you go. And then think about where they go and where they take the gospel. Cyprus, Perga, Sidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, Phrygia, Galatia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, Malta, Rome. Those are all the places that received the gospel as a result of what happened when they got together and fasted. Think about Paul himself and the fact that he has written so many letters to those churches that he visited Um, and planted in those different towns. We've got 13 letters in the New Testament written by Paul to those churches. All that happened off the back of five people sensing in God it's time to fast, guys. I I think there's some breakthrough. I I think we're going to make progress in the purposes of God. I I think there's a new era for us. So let's Let's set aside some time, we're going to worship, we're going to pray, and we're going to fast. Did you know also, God's people fast when a nation is under threat? Um, In 1756, King George II called a national day of prayer and fasting in the UK. 
The reason for that is because of the threatened invasion by the French, which we needn't go into detail about now. But notice that our, our nation's king said we need to fast. And again, John, John Wesley records in his journal on February the 6th of that year, the fast was a glorious day, such as London has scarce seen since the restoration. Every church in the city was more than full, and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God heareth prayer, and there will yet be a lengthening of our tranquility. Our nation, our nation's history has been shaped by that a day of prayer and fasting, that a, that a king was prepared to call. I mean, that's remarkable. What, what humility to say we're under threat and we don't quite know how we're going to handle this. Let's pray. <laughs> Let's fast. So that's when we can fast. Maybe some of those things just register for you as I've been mentioning them. When things are not okay, when urgent breakthrough is needed, when we're on the brink of something new, when we're seeking direction from God or when a nation is under threat. It's, those are times to fast. So why do we fast? Maybe it's inherent within what we've looked at already, but Jesus here, or back here in Matthew chapter 6, is encouraging us to kind of do these acts of righteousness, yet not to be seen by others, but to do them expecting reward. He says it any number of times. So that's, that's there in chapter 6, verse 1. You know, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Kind of put in the negative sense there. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in uh, heaven. But note in verse, uh, in verse 4, talking about giving, yeah, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We're told in that regard. Then in regard of prayer, in verse 6, you know, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Uh, and in verse 18, when it comes to fasting, uh, you know, we're told there to, to um, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Sometimes we get a little bit nervous of the word reward. Am I earning my salvation? Am I earning forgiveness? That's not possible, is it? No, it's all by grace. Jesus is saying, you can earn reward, if you like. You, you will be rewarded with the right attitude. Or in other words, let's put it in another way, you will receive blessing when you do this. If you're not drawing attention to yourself and trying to make it obvious and so on, trying to kind of carry it around as a spiritual trump card, I fasted recently. If we're avoiding that, if we're following Jesus' words, saying, no, don't do it like the Pharisees. That doesn't mean don't do it. <laughs> I mean, do it on purpose, expecting God's blessing. Expect God to hear you. Expect God to bring blessing as a result. And then whatever else happens, however prayer may be answered, what are, an example of fasting which I think is so remarkable and wonderful, which may for us illustrate something of what reward 
could involve. Let's look at Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 and verse 36, we meet a prophetess called Anna. It says there, there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She'd lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is recounting the day when Mary and Joseph took infant Jesus to the temple. They've already met Simeon, and now uh, Anna comes and meets them as well. What, What a remarkable life. Imagine she faced a fairly major decision seven years into her marriage when her husband died. What do I do now? And she made this decision to go and be in the temple for the rest of her life. A life of devotion to God, praying and fasting. And we could think when she was fasting and praying that she herself was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Imagine her praying and fasting. Lord, there must be a Redeemer. Your word promises that one day a king will come and he'll redeem Israel. Lord, let your king come. We can, we can reasonably imagine that her prayers were focused on the Messiah coming. We so need the Messiah. We so need the Savior. Things, things might be okay. Things are not okay until he comes. That she's seeking God for the Savior to come. She's seeking God for the redemption of Jerusalem. She spent her whole life praying for it, and she gets to see the Savior with her own eyes. That is incredible reward. Can you imagine? You've given your life to praying for your nation, for praying for the Savior of the world to come, and there's a day as an 84-year-old where somehow or another the Holy Spirit is highlighting that couple over there with a baby. Simeon's already held him in his hands. I can rest in peace. I've seen him. And she sees him as well. And she comes over to them. I think, what, what a remarkable moment in the history of the world. What a remarkable moment for her. What a remarkable sense of God's heard me. This is him. He's the answer to my prayers. My desire was that I might draw close to him. My desire is that I might be near him. Can you see how that helps us to see kind of what reward we should expect? Yes, perhaps there's a specific request that we're bringing before God, as well as I, I want to draw close to Jesus. I want to know him better. I want, as it were, I want to see him with my own eyes. So let's fast for blessing, fast for reward, fast to, to draw close to Jesus very briefly. How do we fast? Well, it's already, the point's already been made. Fast secretly. In other words, we're not drawing attention to ourselves. We're not trying to impress other people. Now, just practically, uh, whilst it 
should only be obvious to God, your nearest and dearest might need to know if you are planning to fast at some point in time, because you can't just sit down in the evening and push the dinner plate away and go, I can't eat this with no explanation and walk away. That's just not very considerate. So, so don't take it the wrong way. Secretly means kind of, if you like, carefully, not making it obvious. Fast humbly. We acknowledge our needs. We, we acknowledge our limitation and our weakness. Fast deliberately. In other words, identify clearly to yourself and to God what's prompting you to fast. You can come, you could write a list. It could be more than one thing. Here's things that aren't okay. Here's where breakthrough is needed. Even here's the reward. Here's a blessing that I'm, I'm seeking God for. If Paul says, you know, eagerly pursue spiritual gifts, especially that you might prophesy, I think we say, Lord, that's why I'm fasting. I want to operate this in, in the gift of prophecy, or I want that to be even more evident in the life of the church. Eagerly desire, eagerly pursue. Be deliberate. Make a list, write it down, tuck it in your pocket. Whatever you're doing that day, you can get it out and go, oh yeah, Lord, that's what I'm bringing before you. Here are my requests. That's five minutes back in. Right, another time during the day. Lord, this is what I'm bringing before you. This is the scripture promise I'm bringing before you. Here's the nation that I'm bringing before you. Here's the, here's the people that I'm bringing before you. Seeking God on purpose. Otherwise, it's just like we're just going to focus on the fact that we're hungry. The point of fasting is not to go, I'm really, really hungry. The point of fasting is to go, I'm looking to you, Lord. I'm feasting on your word, even whilst I'm hungry. And I'm bringing these things before you. So pray, uh, fast prayerfully. Make a plan. Uh, a guy called Sam Storms, I recommended his book last